What's going on, y'all? And welcome back to Inside the Room with Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Last week was a week unto itself. We all participated in the midterm elections. Uh, I've shared this before, um, maybe not on this platform, but with a few of my friends. This this election process to me was um, definitely different. Uh, this was the first time in 10 years that I was not on the ballot here in the state of Connecticut, uh, but I was working on behalf of other candidates to get them elected um, or reelected. Uh, uh, in particular, Governor Ned Lamont, whose campaign that I ran and we won by large margins, very, very excited about that. And a lot of that attributes uh, is attributed to voter engagement, a job well done uh, that uh, the governor has been doing this last four years in the state of Connecticut, but stepping away from Connecticut's politics. And I want to um, back into like national feedback in politics. And NPR uh, ran a particular, like, not a segment, but like an article uh, that broke down last week's elections and provided some takeaways. Uh, and there were six takeaways that I thought was extremely interesting and worth sharing with the rest of you. Uh, so bear with me because I, I, I really want, I want to jump in and I want to talk a little bit about these takeaways and also from my perspective, uh, looking forward, what's to be expected, right? Um, so the first takeaway, but before we jump into the takeaways, I'm sorry, it is, it is, it's important to remember never to assume you know exactly what's going to happen on election night. We knew that, we knew it was going to be the case, right? We knew that a lot of races throughout this state uh, rather, this country would be very close, right? Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker, Stacey Abrams, and others. Um, there were so many races, y'all, that I could just talk about uh, with respect to being close margins, right? Um, I remember when I first ran uh, for state rep, uh, state representative here in the state of Connecticut, and man, I, there was a tie vote, a court case. We had to go back to the streets and do the election all over again, all to say that process took about two months. So the runoff that's happening in the great state of Georgia between Reverend Warnock and Herschel Walker, um, it's not surprising, but it is surprising. And I'll have a little McGeeology. <laughs> On, on that particular race in and of itself. Uh, but let's jump into the six takeaways. Takeaway number one, the Senate is undecided, okay? And it's going to go on for a while. As I already mentioned, um, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker um, will, will take off in their runoff. Um, I know Raphael Warnock has already declared his his cam his campaign, and they're back on the streets, and they're door knocking, and they're asking um, supporters far and near to come into Georgia or to work your technology to help get the vote out. 
One thing in particular that I think many of you should know is that if you are not, if you weren't registered prior to voting in last week's midterm election, unfortunately, you uh, folks from Georgia will not be able to participate in the runoff. What am I saying? If you weren't registered to vote and you didn't cast your vote for Reverend Warnock or Mr. Walker, then you cannot participate uh, in the December 6th uh, election. I know, yes, it's voter suppression at its best, uh, but it is the, 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 the law of the land there in Georgia that y'all should change. So what can be done? What can we do? You can get on the phone, you can remind people, you can post, you can reach out to either campaign. I'm reaching out to Reverend Warnock's campaign to see what I can do from Connecticut. Uh, there is a, con a contingency of folks going down to the great state of Georgia to support in his election, his reelection, uh, and I hope you will do the same, all right? So that's takeaway number one. The Senate is undecided and going to go on for a while. Takeaway number two, and this one just makes me chuckle. Um, Republicans underperformed in the House, and there's going to be a lot of finger pointing, which will then segue into my next takeaway, and that is takeaway number three, but let's stick, stay here a little while in number two. The House still looks like it's headed for good old party, okay? That's the Republican Party, but not by a huge margin. Uh, we know that while votes were still being tallied sometime last week, uh, Republicans made fewer gains than they hoped for, right? Many forecasters' projections were really on the low end, uh, but they knew that there would be some upsets throughout the country, right? Since World War II, the party out of power has picked up a net of 28 seats and 43 seats when a president's approval rating was below 50%, as President Biden's is today. A Republican net gain of nine would be enough for a majority. They only needed five, but it would also uh, make for lots of Republican hand uh, ringing. Um, Republican House leader Kevin McCarty spoke last week about 2 a.m. in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. And he tried to set this, this narrative that uh, the Republican Party has been trying to do for some time now. Uh, and he says, and I quote, it is clear that we are going to take the House back. <laughs> oh, Lord. He pointed to diverse GOP candidates across the country and claimed that it was evidence of an expanding GOTV tent. Jesus. Then he goes on to say, and I quote, when you wake up tomorrow, that was last week, last Wednesday, we will be in the majority. Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi excuse me, will be in the minority, McCarty added. All right, moving on. I'm not even going to go there. Uh, uh, Takeaway number three, there's also going to be blame directed toward Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump weighed in heavily, as y'all know, uh, in, in these elections. But even in this landscape, y'all, within 
inflation being high, Republican House candidates underperformed, except in places like New York State, perhaps, where Republicans, they may or they might, who knows, flip four seats, including Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairperson Sean Patrick Maloney's seat. Uh, which was too close to call at the time I was doing this research. Overall, Democrats wound up nearly winning with independents according to exit polls. Why? And I quote Scott Jennings. He says, to me, it's Donald Trump, a Republican who worked. Um, I'm sorry, I, I read that all wrong. The question was why? Why did Democrats uh, end up narrowly winning with independence. To me, it's Donald Trump, says Scott Jennings, all right? He's a Republican that worked in George W. Bush's administration. Uh, and he, from this particular article NPR wrote, um, he was really convinced that a lot of this has to do with the effects of Donald Trump and his extremism, all right? Um, now, we can talk about what happened uh, with a lot of Trump-backed candidates in purple states like, you know, celeb celebrity TV doctor uh, Oz, uh, who lost to Fetterman. Congratulations there in Pennsylvania. And then you have Herschel Walker, another person backed by Donald Trump, who is trailing or now in a runoff. Um, could have a lot of Republicans, especially GOP, good old party professionals, wondering if continuing to be wedded to Trumpism uh, is to still what's best for them in purple states. Who knows? Um, that's especially true considering what happened in Florida, right? Governor Ron DeSantis was announced the winner for re-election right when the polls closed. Very interesting. Republicans have flirted with an alternative to Trump, all right? And the name who continues to be on the tips of Republicans' lips is DeSantis, all right? Florida, Florida, Florida. Anyway, at a recent rally, Trump nicknamed DeSantis Ron DeSantis. Dissominant, whatever he said, while touting a lead in a hypothetical GOP primary poll. Uh, but Trump clearly, y'all know Trump is, is a, anyway, Trump clearly sees DeSantis as a threat, okay? And on Trump's mind constantly, if you're paying attention to any of the news pundits, uh, it might be why he is again suggesting he, as in Donald Trump, is suggesting he will announce for president soon, not yet, to put on hold the nomination as a possible, uh, as soon as possible. Moving on to uh, takeaway number four, four. Florida might be the new Ohio. What do I mean by that? In other words, a state that used to be a swing state, but now seems firmly in the Republican hands. DeSantis won early and shortly after that, so did Marco Rubio. Both won impressive double-digit margins. It wasn't even close, y'all. Let's be let's be let's be blunt. Let's be let's be clear. And I want you to understand: no Democrat has won an election to be Florida governor now. I want to say in almost thirty years, since Lawton Chiles in nineteen ninety-four, and Democrats are shut out of statewide office. 
Now y'all remember uh, Florida, um, uh, what is his name? Andrew Gilliam, I think it is. He ran for governor and he was close y'all. He was close. Florida almost elected the first black governor um, a cycle ago. We got to get back to that, y'all. But think about this. This is a state, Florida, we're talking about. Obama, former President Obama won twice and was decided by hanging chads in 2000 and has been thought of as a swing state for 20 plus years. But political maps, y'all know they're changing. And as the sun is rising for Democrats in other parts of the Sun Belt states, in places like Georgia, Arizona, it may be setting uh, for the party in the sunshine state, uh, which is Florida, all right? So we know political maps, they ain't static. Up until 92, California had gone Republican in every presidential election dating back to 1968. But there's going to be a conversation, I believe, ahead of the 2024 presidential election among Democratic strategists and party officials about completely getting rid of Florida, abandoning Florida, all right? Uh, and check this out. There are 29 electoral votes. The state is expensive. They've got multimedia uh, markets. And there will be questions about whether it's worth even uh, playing there for the 2024 presidential election, all right? Now, moving on to five, takeaway five. Democrats appear to slip again with Latino voters. Very interesting. Despite Democrats' decent night overall, they struggle to energize Latino voters who have been a key portion of their base. I know here in the state of Connecticut, when we were looking at our polls and we were uh, just figuring out our grass top, grassroots strategies that will help us to get, or rather remain engaged with Latino and black voters, we understood business as usual cannot take place. You've gotta meet people with it, where they are. You've gotta use their, their ways of communication or means of communication and you know, exit polls show Democrats won about 60% of Latinos overall, down from 65 in 2020, which has already considered, which can already be considered a slip. But remember, Latino voters are not a monolith. Latinos of Cuban and Venezuelan descent have grown from far more Republican leaning, which is likely what helped DeSantis and Rubio to their big wins. Remarkably, they both won Miami-Dade County by double digits. Um, it's, it's, it's a place that used to be a Democratic stronghold, y'all. In 2016, y'all remember Hillary Clinton won the county by 29 points. It shifted more Republicans in 2020 uh, with Biden only winning by seven. And that raised a bunch of eyebrows, eyebrows on how Democrats were doing with this across section of Latinos. Now, in the year Biden won the presidential election in 2020, Biden also struggled with Latinos in South Texas. I can keep talking on and on and on, but it appears to me that Black voters and young, younger voters appear to turn out as similar uh, shares of the electorate uh, and margins as in the past uh, midterm elections. Takeaway number six, our final takeaway. The cross currents of this election between abortion rights and inflation, inflation 
was real, okay? The cross currents of this election between abortion rights and inflation were real. Y'all know for months, I mean months after Dobbs' decision that overturned Roe, it was clear, it was clear to me that there were cross currents in the election that could make it different than most midterm elections. And that appears to have turned out to be the case. Abortion popped up as an issue in places like Pennsylvania and was slightly higher overall than had been seen in polling leading into election day. And more concrete data point uh, is that there were four abortion-related measures on ballots in four states. And in all four, they are moving in the direction of support for abortion rights. That's what I'm talking about. Vermont, Michigan, and California all approved legislation that adds the rights to an abortion to their state constitutions. In Kentucky, a measure that would have amended its state constitution to say there were no right to an abortion was losing by seven points. And I wanna add, I wanna add, I wanna add to this. If there were, if there were a seven, okay, within my six takeaways from midterm elections, I am so extremely proud of the state of Connecticut. There was uh, a constitutional question on our ballot um, that basically asked whether or not Connecticut should amend its constitution to include early voting. We are one of four states that do not offer early voting. Why? It's random. It's stupid. But guess what? The voters spoke up. We have early voting in the state of Connecticut. Well, it, it has to go back to the legislature, but we voted on it. We're in favor of it. And stay tuned for more updates. All right. So I know that was a lot. I know that was a lot. And I know that many of you are probably kicking and screaming and talking back at me. But hopefully you um, can get a gist of what's taking place across this country. Um, but, but, but before it's over, I'm going to add more. I'm going to add more. All right. Um, I'm going to take a quick break because I really want to talk a little bit about uh, what happened uh, there in Georgia with our beloved Stacey Abrams, who uh, was running or ran for the second time to become Georgia's first Black governor. Unfortunately, that was not the case. And I want to unpack that a little bit more. A special shout out uh, to my fraternity brother, uh, Governor-elect Wes Moore there in Maryland. He is the first Black. Wow. First Black. I get emotional because this is uh, 2022 and we're still saying first, but it does not take away all of the hard work that was put into Westmore becoming um, the first black governor there in Maryland. Uh, so thank you to the great people of Maryland, the state of Maryland, to all of the hard work put in. Your work has not gone unnoticed. Uh, and you know we're just so proud, we're so proud. And on behalf of my staff here, inside the room. Congratulations to all of the candidates uh, who ran, uh, did not make it across the finish line. For those of you who won, uh, let's get to work. Um, and for what it's worth, 
Thank you to the voters, all right? But y'all keep it locked. Don't go anywhere because I want to unpack what happened in Georgia as it relates to Stacey Abrams, all right? So keep it locked right here on the official FUBU Radio. What's going on, y'all? And welcome back. We are just, I, I just want to, I want to jump in, y'all. Like we've been talking all morning um, about what happened last week. And there was a lot that happened last week. Uh, and I didn't even get to um, all of, uh, of of the the propaganda and, and, and the narrative that many of these extremists tried to put in the atmosphere, whether it was putting out the wrong dates to vote, whether it was, um, you know, misinforming uh, the electorate, scare tactics, you name it. But one thing in particular that I really, really wanted uh, to, to talk about and I wanted to unpack uh, was the country's focus on Georgia, another election cycle. And why was the country so laser focused on the great state of Georgia? As y'all know, Georgia helped to flip the Congress, put us back in the majority, thanks to Warnock and John Ossoff uh, and so many others who, who fought um, during that particular election cycle. But this election cycle uh, was even special. Four years ago, um, Stacey Abrams had pretty much the world um, at her feet. Yes, she had just lost, y'all. She had just lost her first Georgia gubernatorial race to Governor Brian Kemp by fewer than 60,000 votes. I'm gonna let that settle. 60,000 is not a lot, but it's enough to pull your opponent or any candidate across the finish line. But after such an unexpectedly tight contest, contest um, Stacey Abrams was heralded uh, by the Democratic Party as a promising new leader. There was spec speculation about whether, you know, she'd be chosen as Joe Biden's running mate during his 2020 bid for presidency, a prospect Abrams welcomed. And she was largely credited for pioneering a new playbook focused on turning out Black voters in Georgia, and I would dare say turning out Black voters throughout the country, especially after Biden flipped the state in 2020, the state of Georgia. Though uh, Biden eventually tapped then-Senator Kamala, Kamala Harris of California to share the ticket, Abrams kept her eyes and focus on the governor's mansion there in Georgia. But she enters this particular race, all right, as an even more uh, of an underdog than she was in 18. I went on to do some research and recent, recent surveys of, of her race constantly show Abrams, a former minority leader in Georgia's state house, trailing Kemp by single digits according uh, to several pollings um, as of a few, a few weeks before Tuesday's election. Right, all data and and many of these articles um, 
were were taken at various times, but nonetheless, an October poll, and I'm just giving you some background information, an October poll from Data for Progress, though, found that the Republican held a lead of 10 percent points over Abrams. That's three points more than when the firm uh, last polled uh, this particular race back in September. And while Abrams had a stronger support among Democrats than Governor Kemp did with Republicans, um, the pollsters, many of the pollsters, also concluded that Abrams' path to victory this 2022 midterm election was much more narrower. Now, Abrams' campaign is also, uh, or they also had attracted a lot of um, less buzz this year compared with the frenetic excitement of her candidacy in 18. That stands out because there is a significant gap between Abrams polling against Kemp versus that of Senator Raphael Warnock, another Democrat uh, who was on the ballot running for re-election against a Republican, Herschel Walker. And again, I'm giving you background information so that I can explain to you a little bit deeper and more on like what actually happened. Most nonpartisan surveys, especially these or those fielded following Walker's abortion controversy, uh, have given Reverend Warnock a single digit ed edge. In fact, um, there was an article that I read in the 538, 538.com, um, weighted average was almost two points in Warnock's favor. 50, uh, 538's deluxe forecast of the election, meanwhile, had assessed the race as a toss-up. And again, a lot of this feedback I'm giving you is super dated. Uh, it is pre-November 8th. Uh, again, I just wanted to give you uh, some background information. Let me continue. In the governor's race, right, because that was Reverend Warnock I was sharing with you. In the governor's race, that's Governor Kemp and Stacey Abrams, 55 or 538, they're going to kill me, 538 uh, deluxe forecast gave Kemp about a 9 to 10 chance of being reelected as of uh, the Friday before election. Now, because Abrams is a Black woman seeking state wide office in the South, in the South, sexism and racism one might say are likely to blame for some of her underperformance, but not all of it. Abrams' lackluster polling can also be attributed to the tipid enthusiasm for her candidacy among Black men. Ah, that's a lie. I wanted to pause there. There were so many articles suggesting that Black men this, Black men that will determine. Black men voted more for Stacey Abrams than any other group. Well, Black women. We're second to Black women, okay? Black men. But the point I'm making is that was all false. It was all false that those pundits would put out there, oh, her candidacy, you know, it's going to lose because of Black men. Black men didn't support Black women. That's crazy. Crazy. Now, what I can say is that incumbency 
it matters. Okay. I remember, I remember, I remember running as an incumbent multiple times. And finally, my fourth session, I understood the power in incumbency. Incumbency is basically a person or a candidate who is running for re-election and they have a history. They are running to be re-elected. They are the incumbent and they come with resources and power. So in short, a loss for Abrams this year could be less about her shortcomings as a candidate and more about the number of baked in advantages playing to Kemp's favor, okay? For one, Kemp's relative popularity as governor is a boon to his candidacy. Plus in his race against Abrams, he played, he's played into issues, I guess important to Georgians like the economy and, and uh, inflation uh, as a political point to keep in, him in office. Abrams, meanwhile, has been talking a lot about abortion. And even though a six-week ban on abortion went into effect in Georgia in July, that issue appears to be less salient for Georgia voters, which is weird. What's also working or worked in Kemp's favor is that the political environment in 2022 is much different than it was four years ago when Republicans controlled the White House. Back then, Democrats could largely run on dissatisfaction with Donald Trump and work to tie their, their challengers to the former president. But Trump isn't in the White House this year. And it's the time, and in that time, excuse me, since 2018, Kemp has lost favor with former president uh, after he resisted pressure to overturn the results of 2020 election. He also had to beat back a Trump-backed primary challenger, uh, former Senator David Perdue in May. And in doing so, Kemp may have broken slightly with the mainstream uh, of the, the good old party, the GOP party, right? So the more I dive into this, the more we talk about what happened to Stacey Abrams, everyone will have their own perspective. Everyone will have their own commentary on this. The fact of the matter is Georgia, you all, you stood up, you tried your best and we've got to keep trying. Uh, and I am just so, I'm proud. I am proud of Stacey Abrams and the hard work, but there is more to come. And I've, I've, I've even heard she may even have the opportunity to uh, run DNC. Who knows? That's the Democratic National Committee, our national party. She's fit for it. She can do it. But stay tuned. Let's see. Shout out to Stacey Abrams, y'all. Give her her flowers while she is still here. She is still powerful and moving and shaking, all right? So y'all keep it locked right here on the official FUBU Radio. Y'all make sure to download the app so you can tune in every single day, every day, especially on Sunday at 9 a.m., all right? Keep it locked right here on the official FUBU Radio. What's going on? And welcome back to Inside the Room with Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture every Sunday. 9 a.m. Um, how y'all doing? Y'all good? I hope so. Uh, I just, 
I hope y'all enjoyed uh, the information shared with you uh, this this last um, this during the show. Uh, it's been very interesting to say the least uh, to read a lot of the articles and um, political commentary uh, as we enter into um, a runoff with folks like Reverend Warnock and Herschel Walker there in Georgia. Um, and, and, and probably for some folks in, in local state and uh, state government, there are probably runoffs and, 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 and things that, that will be happening. Um, I don't want you all to be discouraged, especially it's easy to, to be discouraged after what happened to Stacey Abrams. Um, but this, this, this y'all should force you to want to be involved. And I always tell people being involved does not necessarily mean you've got to run for public office. Being involved means show up to your town council meeting, show up to your boards of education meetings, show up to zoning, uh, planning and zoning meetings. That's where everything is happening. I heard somebody say this before, and I've been saying it for years. Politics, it's local, y'all. It's local. So while the presidential elections are important, your governor, your state senators and representatives, those races are equally important. So get involved. If you didn't vote this time around, that means, hey man, hey lady, make sure you get registered to vote. Prepare yourself now. Voting, voting, believe it or not, that's the easy part. It's staying engaged, remaining engaged and being a part of the process. To all of my black folk out there and my Latinos, Hispanics, and to the broader community, our democracy is hanging on by a thread. And I don't want to sound all doom and gloom. I mean, we 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 flip some seats. We we're 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 in a we're we're poised uh, to do some great things. But there's a lot at stake, y'all. And just like we're fired up and we're ready to go, those of you who uh, can relate, um, there are folks on the other side that are just as fired up and ready to go. Strategies, we gotta tighten them up. There's so much work to be done. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know that there's so many of you who knocked on doors, registered people to vote, uh, rode, you know, took folks to the polls, um, got up early, early at the crack of dawn to put out yard lawn signs of your preferred candidate. Uh, you did everything you could do. You gave your five and your your thousand dollars to support the candidate. You did everything you can do, but there's still more to be done. And so right here inside the room, we will always provide a place for candidates and those who want wish to come on and want to just share with us the importance of uh, of being civically engaged, the importance of understanding what's at stake. You're welcome here. All right. So I am uh, very sad that we have to leave uh, one day, y'all. One day, one day, almost soon. 
uh, there will be an opportunity for those of you to call in uh, and to really weigh in on these issues. And I could hear you and feel you real time. Uh, so we're still working on some things, uh, but I am I'm glad that the midterm elections are over. <laughs> Uh, but I will be having some guests come back on uh, for next week. Um, I really, really do hope y'all enjoyed the virtual town hall. Um, that was fun. I got to invite my friends back. Again, special shout out to Jamal, Tyron, Jenny, Kenneth. Thank y'all for participating in my first virtual um, town hall. And I plan to do those monthly on various topics, engaging people where they are right here inside the room. Uh, until next time, until next time, I want you to do something for yourself, whether it's taking a nap, washing your clothes. How about cleaning out your trunk? My dad said that in church the other day. He was... <laughs> Shout out to my dad, uh, Marshall, the good bishop. Thank you so much. Uh, but he he's he's preaching a series on patience and waiting on God. And um, one of the things that stuck out, he said, as you're waiting, there are also some things that you could be doing. And he said, like cleaning out your trunk, uh, cleaning out your house. Uh, so anyway, all jokes aside, I really do um, support the idea of self-care uh, and making sure you are your best self, all right? So do something for yourself. Take your time. Don't be so hard on yourself uh, and know that if you didn't accomplish it today, tomorrow is another day, all right? So until next time, as my good friend will say, keep hope alive and I'll see you soon. Love you. Peace.